Good evening, peeping Toms and Tammies, and welcome to Slow Motion Triple Feature, a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks. Each month, a different friend will select a different triple feature for their friends to enjoy and discuss. Slow Motion Triple Feature is one of the many fine podcasts brought to you by the American Friend Institute. Kit, would you mind telling us a little bit more about the American Friend Institute? The American Friend Institute is an organization that honors the heritage of the motion picture arts. We produce educational podcasts about film, including Adam Sandler, A Life in Pictures, and have curated a jury-selected list of the 100 greatest films of all time. The American Friend Institute was founded out of our mutual disgust that The Exorcist was not on the American Film Institute's list of the 100 greatest movies. It's also not on our list, because no one nominated it. I think we all probably thought someone else would do it. The American Friend Institute does not recognize the existence of any of the Star Wars films. On an unrelated note, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan is the 61st best movie ever made. I thought of a great slogan for the Institute slash podcast. Oh yeah? Uh-huh. Um, what is it? Well, let me tell you, Andrew. It's uh, <laughs> the American Friend Institute because movies are better together. And then we also, the triple feature, movies are together and it makes them better. Eh? All right. Eh? Friends I mean, and movies, two things yeah. that are better together. Together. Yeah, that works. Uh, do you remember my slogan, at least for the list? No. No. 40 years, 100 movies. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Rear Window, do you guys remember what number on the American number Institute list? Four. Number four, just mm-hmm. after three uh, Harrison Ford movies or whatever. Hell yeah. <laughs> also, who, uh, next Who nominated triple, that one? Or I think probably me and Mike both did. For Rear Both Window? probably had Rear mm-hmm. Window. Probably. This is one of my favorite movies. Um, yeah, it's great. But uh, next week's film is also uh, very high on the list, and that's probably largely my doing. I know I, and, I, I, yeah. Kit hasn't seen it, but I know Andrew liked it, so maybe that bumped it up on the list. But. Anyhow, um, I'm your host, Mike Keller, and I am joined today by my good friends Kit and Andrew. Tonight, we are kicking off Mike's Creepy Peepers triple feature with <laughs> 1954's Rear Window. Directed by Alfred Hitchcock and starring James Stewart and Grace Kelly. Now you say a creepy um, peeper. Is this is this is this is this film autobiographical? <laughs> it is. Yes. Yeah. You pervert. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I was gonna talk about that as we discussed voyeurism. Um, about you being a perv. Deeper into it. Yeah. And Peeping Tom isn't one of the movies. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, you know, I rewatched Peeping Tom just a few weeks ago, and I wasn't so hot on it. Like, it's fine. Oh my I, god! I just wasn't nuts about it. Perfect movie. Um, maybe it would have been a good discussion, but You're we'll crazy. never know. Um, I forget what your third movie is. So we are going to have for this triple feature, the Creepy Peepers triple feature. We will have <laughs> Rear Window, Body Double, and Disturbia. Right. Okay. Um, so not Peeping Tom, but we are doing Disturbia. I mean, they don't all have to be winners. I, I also I haven't seen Disturbia since it came out, and so I was like, well, that would be a fun one to rewatch. Yeah, I'm curious we, to watch it. We have never watched a, a Shia LaBeouf film, so uh, well, and it's now's time. the time. It is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's never been hotter. <laughs> I still want to see he's, that. He is. He's making headlines. That's for sure. Is yeah. he? Oh, is he actually? He's in the zeitgeist. I, I hadn't heard anything about him. What's yeah, going on? he's in big trouble. He like yeah, beat his girlfriend or something. Yeah, he's an abusive boyfriend. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't hear that. But anyways, we're still doing Disturbia because I'm picking yeah. triple. Um, all right. Uh, we've all seen Rear Window before. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Can you guys tell me the first time you saw Rear Window? I really can't. I'm sure I know. it was. Okay, go ahead. Well, I, I had seen. I'm sure I had seen 
either all of it or parts of it prior, but I remember definitively the first time I saw it was in our film studies class in high school. Okay, oh, did cool. we watch it in that? We did. And then yeah, and then in college that. it was like I mean it was like a an example for lots of stuff like we talked about that movie extensively in college. I think I probably saw it in pieces over the years on AMC like cuz it's one of those I mean my dad watched AMC like all the time. Um and it's like if if you flip by and it's on like you you're going to watch it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't even remember it being in film studies, but I've probably rarely seen it from like top to bottom, <laughs> you yeah. know, in one sitting, uh, mostly like television viewings probably, or like okay. in class, um, apparently. Definitely. I first I have saw a this... question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go Mike. Okay. Well, I first saw this in college and it wasn't in class. I just rented it, I think from the library one day. And I remember... It kind of like actually, I guess it could have been senior year, but I think it was freshman year of college and it kind of became, um, you know how when you're younger, you kind of obsess over a movie in a way where you like people like, I don't know, it's like you kind of deliberately do it, but then you also kind of don't deliberately, but people like associate you with the movie. Mm-hmm. I think I was like so public with my friends or whatever about how much I loved Rear Window that it was like. Oh, and Grace Kelly in particular. Yeah. I was like obsessed with Grace Kelly. So like on my blog or whatever. Um, so I remember that I'm pretty sure it was the first time I saw it all the way through. I don't really remember ever seeing it before then. Um, however, uh, I did the my introduction to this film was probably the Simpsons episode Bart of Darkness, which is when Bart breaks his leg uh, and then he has to stay inside all summer and he's watching people, you know, from his window while they're all playing mm-hmm. out in the pool. And uh, that is one of my all time favorite episodes of The Simpsons and Rear Window is one of my all time favorite films. So it all it all fits together. It's Rear Window is so like. It's just like percolated in so much of pop culture. Yeah. And like, I I mean, not just including like remakes of itself, but just like. I feel like there are nods, even in movies that don't strictly follow this premise. There are definitely nods to it in like so much cuz like i'm thinking about it and it's just like how many how many movies were like this before the, you know what i mean like so many yeah. of like the tr- the things in this movie that became like tropes like w- when did you see them before this movie like there's like almost like a this movie almost invents a visual language i think oh yeah anyway home yeah. movies has a really funny yeah. episode that is based on rear window too yeah that's a good one Actually, speaking of uh, movies that led into this, potentially, there is a uh, I can't remember what the director's name is, but there is a 1949 film called The Window, which I have tried to work into a triple feature, but I just never have. Uh, but it's got Bobby Driscoll in it. And he he he's sleeping out on the, you know, the fire escape, I think is in New York or something because it's hot in his apartment one night. So he's sleeping out there and he hears a noise from the apartment above. And so he goes up the stairs and uh, he witnesses a murder. And uh, it's a great film. It's very good. And it's I don't know. It's not like I could see it and say like, oh, Hitchcock definitely saw that because this is also based on a short story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Anyways, it's a good film. It's just called The Window. Uh, you know, there's an there's an Amy Adams movie out on Netflix this week that I think that appears to just be Rear Window with a lady. Right. I don't know. I haven't seen so, it. She's like, I don't an agora- she's like an agoraphobe. But it's yeah, something like that. Yeah, I saw like a mention of it, but I didn't know what the plot was. But uh, like woman, woman in the window. Yeah. 
Okay, which I think there was also a book called Woman in the Window. And then there's also a film noir from like the 40s called Woman in the Window. So I don't know if they're related or not. <laughs> but there's a lot of there's a lot of people hanging out in the window, apparently. Mm hmm. Um, so how do we want to start this? I got well, I got speaking got, of other films uh, surrounding it. I was curious if anybody has seen the the Christopher Reeves uh, remake of this from the late 90s. No, that no. seems okay. too depressing. I remember. Yeah, I remember seeing I remember it very vividly. Like I remember it seeing um, there was like a an inside edition or or extra. I don't know. One of those sort of fake news like entertainment news uh shows that was like talking about like i remember like behind the scenes and it was like a big mm -hmm. deal because he it was like the first thing he had done since his accident or the first like major thing um but yeah i i i don't think i could ever bring myself to watch that yeah i tried to find it and i couldn't even really find it anywhere i so. don't even know why like i don't know why you it's crazy how many i was looking through hitchcock's like um his movie his filmography and looking at like a list of movies of his that have been remade or or got or have gotten sequels and it's so weird it's so weird there's just some things where it's like like imagine somebody like remaking jaws you know like it just even though they made sequels i'm trying to think like what's a movie that didn't have a sequel that is pretty recent ish like the last like 30 years or something like that that you just like you, it would just be insane if somebody tried to make a sequel like uh avatar <laughs> that's funny honestly titanic I yeah, yeah well okay <laughs> God damn it. it's actually i'm actually having problems with this with this because uh everything i can think of does have a sequel yeah they yeah. pretty much make sequels to everything. yeah i was just like 2001 a space odyssey <laughs> oh wait yeah uh, um yeah, I but don't it would know. be weird to remake it. People don't do people. Yeah, it would be. No, people do remakes. They, I mean, Lolita's a novel, but they did remake Lolita. Yeah, and it's actually I like I like the '98 version. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, I do too. I I feel like since we live in a world where they remade Solaris, it's probably just that we're not going <laughs> to find one. You know, maybe not. not but it is that... it is weird to me to think that there is a sequel to The Birds. You know, there or, is. Yeah, or that they've remade Vertigo. And the thing is, is like there's so many what? Hitchcock. Yeah, <laughs> I there's didn't so know many. There's so many. Hit, well, and that's that because I, I sent I texted you guys the other night and I was like, guys, look, Mission Impossible 2 is a is a remake of Notorious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you know, not super faithful, but like it's very, very clear that like yeah. somewhere in the writer's mind was a Hitchcock movie. Wait, so um, just a, qu a question. The Vertigo, was it like an actual remake of Vertigo or was it like a De Palma, like Obsession or um, something where it's I a spiritual remake? I don't know. I didn't dig too deeply into it, but I found like, okay. this, I found a list and there was a bunch of like, some of them have like different titles and and different things like that. But um, Okay, interesting. Or maybe they're based on like the whatever, you know, if there was like a source material or something. But in any case, like it's weird. It's weird that somebody, it's weird that somebody made rear window it's less weird to me that somebody remade rear window with teenagers and called it something else mm -hmm. but it's very weird to me yeah that i think it's a perennial up... it's a perennial like idea but it's we it would which is partly why it would be weird to just actually remake it like no yeah. just have someone witness a crime from a 
from a distance. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, back back to the future. Think about that. Like, what if like we talk? Like, I feel like still in this world, like in in pop culture, we still reference Back to the Future all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And it's so like imagine somebody just recasting those characters and making that movie today. It's so it's like impossible. And to me, like they'll do it. I'm sure you will, you freak. Uh, but just like I can't imagine anybody playing Jimmy Stewart other than Jimmy Stewart. You know, it's yeah. just. Uh, yeah, it's weird. Who would you? Who would be Jimmy Stewart? I have an answer. Who? I think. I think if we re- well, I think if they were making, if they were remaking Rear Window today as really the same movie, I think Chris Evans would get cast as Jimmy Stewart. Huh? Chris uh, Evans I is don't. Captain America. That doesn't. Yeah. I don't see it. Okay. Tom Hanks is too old to play Jimmy Stewart. I mean, in this Jimmy movie. Stewart is old in Rear Window. But he, but yes. Can we talk he's... about Jimmy Stewart's weird body in this movie too? <sighs> What's sure. weird about it? It's weird because there's this thing where like men in like like didn't want to like like they would like get beat. They'd be like lean or they'd. They'd work out, but they'd like actively avoid working their chest because if they had big chest, that was seen as feminine. So you have like this, like he looks pretty, like his trunk seems like normal and his arms have like some like kind of, he looks a little like uh, a little emaciated, but they like have some definition. And then like his chest is just like, just paper thin. There's just nothing. It's just so, it's such a weird body shape. Huh. It's like. It's not like he's not fat. He's he's lean, but he just has this like strange. Yeah, it's this strange thing where it's like whoever, whatever exercise you were doing, it's like in the wrong order or something. Interesting. Hmm. No one noticed this. Just me. No. I mean, I feel like the he's I in feel a like chair in pajamas. <laughs> the what? Yeah, but he has his shirt off like a few times. Yeah, when she's giving him a massage. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look. It's um, not like he looks like a freak. Well, no, he does look a little freakish to me. I would say that I feel like the men of like the World War II generation, and I don't yeah. know what's behind it. It sounds like you're saying there was, there there was like it was effeminate to have a big chest or something, um, but yeah, it was. There is like a body type that actors of that time had, and I feel like even my grandpa, but like kind of had but, a look. But to compare him. compare Sean Connery as James Bond with his shirt off to. Right. Jimmy Jimmy Stewart. And I'm not sent and Jimmy Stewart's not like an action hero. So it's like it doesn't it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right. Like we love Jimmy Stewart, okay? I also think that there's a family guy joke about this with Robert Mitchum because Robert Mitchum has kind of an unusual build. But I can't remember yeah. what it is. So but I, I think you're not alone in this observation of Okay, uh, cool. Well that's Thanks. Jimmy Stewart versus Mitchum, but you know. Anyhow. Um well yeah, let's uh let's let's get to it. Do you want to uh should we start with the I I've got actually a good I've kind of got slightly organized notes. Um do you do you have stuff about the set? That was actually the number one thing I had, yeah. Okay, um, yeah. That's like so, the first that's like the first thing we talk yeah, about anytime we talk um, about this movie, I feel like. Some fun facts. Uh so it says on Wikipedia it said set designers Hal uh Perriera and Joseph McMillan Johnson spent six weeks building the extremely detailed and complex set. Uh, and then it also said that the set had a drainage system for the rain sequence mm-hmm. and then also a really elaborate lighting system to recreate like daylight and like evening and nighttime and all. That and stuff, those apartments so. were all functioning like they had like running water yeah. and stuff. Just yeah. Crazy. And you can look online and there's like pictures of like, you know, uh, I don't know what they would be 
still pic or whatever they would call them, but just basically pictures from the set where you can kind of see a little bit of the behind the scenes stuff. And it's very interesting. It's a cool set. The budget was a million dollars. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I love the slice of just that one little alleyway that goes out to the street. That's yeah, like too. one of and my like favorite the little diner. Kind of, you can see yeah. the neon and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Anyway, go it ahead. Is. Um, oh crap, I don't remember. You were saying the budget for the film was a million dollars. Oh yeah, the but so the budget for the movie was a million dollars, and I feel like I don't know how much this set costs, but I just kind of feel like it puts into perspective like how closer to like a working person an actor was at that point yeah. than like big stars are now yeah because it's just like there's no way jimmy stewart made like a ton of money on this because like how they built apartments those had to be like that set had to be expensive yeah mm-hmm. i mean maybe they just yeah. show up to work for hitchcock you know i don't know but uh, they built apartments that you could actually live in so that's basically just like really building an apartment complex right yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah. No, yeah. And I wonder what what percentage of that budget did go to the set, Um, because definitely, I mean, it couldn't have been cheap. Uh, And it's also just it looks so freaking cool. Like it's like it's definitely somewhat realistic and, you know, functional. And it's just this really grand set. But it's also just like it looks like a storybook, like, yes, New York kind of uh, to set. Also, I was I was going to ask, I guess this is podcast. We don't have to. So. It's it's Greenwich Village, but everybody says Greenwich Village. Is that the same thing or is that a different thing? It, it is the same Greenwich. thing. It's why Greenwich did they say Village. Greenwich instead of? I mean, why is it spelled uh, Greenwich? I think it's the I think it's British people's fault. It's a British thing. Oh, it's a British yeah. thing. Because okay. I've stayed I've stayed in Greenwich, England, and it's spelled the same way. Like Wor- okay. Worcester instead of Worcester Worcester. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, because I was, I guess as I was reading it, I was like, oh, are those, in my head, I've always thought they were the same thing, but then I was like, well, Greenwich Village, could that be different than Greenwich Village? Anyhow. I've been there. uh, But yes, it's very nice. I like, I like, I've always liked uh, really busy, like, books, like Where's Waldo, and just comics and stuff, like, as a kid. That was always cool to me when you could, like, you know, like, in... uh, what what did I have like Sports Illustrated? They would have comics or stuff, mm-hmm. or even just like Calvin and Hobbes. And there was just all these little details where it's like you could just kind of look at the cartoon, or the you could look at the picture and pull all these mm-hmm. little little scenes that were playing out around you know the Where's Waldo page or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this movie captures a little bit of that in a movie, which I can't think of many other movies that have anything close to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so imagine yeah. like imagine rehearsing for not so much for the actors, but just like the camera and the just like going yeah. through and creating all of these little vignettes that have to function naturally like with each other as the camera is moving is i mean it's really a technical feat is what this yeah. movie is yeah it's crazy it's great it's one of the best mm-hmm. um so i don't know and i, I also think are... like shooting shooting a movie from basically one fixed location is yeah i mean that's so kind of brave maybe less brave for the time since you know they they didn't move the camera as much but it is pretty and it's also interesting to me because it's like so many of the 
you know, you're, you've got, because you have these sort of, like, you have this fixed position, and because you've designed this set in a way that allows you to look into multiple spaces at once, you're sort of taking, you're kind of taking the editing out of it, right? It's like mm -hmm. looking at, like, like, you know, you're talking about comics. It's sort of like looking at a comic strip, and you sort of see it all play out, and you can kind of sit on the wide Instead of, because I was thinking about, like, what if this was shot conventionally, which it wouldn't be able to, but what if it was, um, mm -hmm. you know, just like thinking about like being like uh, Raymond Burr's character, just like going and opening a door and then going back to another part yeah. of the apartment. Like there's like, I was kind of counting in my head and it's like this one shot is like 10, 15 shots minimum or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's interesting. And you kind of it's it sort of gives you this view of seeing everything at once, which is really much more realistic like it's it I mean that's reality, right? Like that that's how right. we see things in the in the actual world. I mean sometimes that's how we see things in the world. Um, yeah. There's not movies I mean, which are Go ahead. There's the ones I think there's there might might be more than one, but the there's like one part that he doesn't see where she where he leaves with yes. his wife in quotes and it's like and it re and it reveals to us that jimmy stewart was asleep for that so like we're seeing it but he's not and i don't think there are any or a, at least not a lot of other moments like that but i thought that was a really interesting way of like like we <laughs> we're in a different level of existence from jimmy stewart like it can feel like we're in his viewpoint of things but yeah. that moment reminds us like no we're also watching him watch the people um, yeah that i actually that's one choice. of the things i noted that it's interesting because you do feel like everything is from his perspective but then there's that where he mm -hmm. just misses you know the supposed you know mrs thorwald yeah. uh leaving um which is also weird because like in thorwald thorwald's mind that would have the entire point of that ruse would have been to for somebody to see her leaving but the only person yeah. who was watching missed that part um yeah. which i guess is why yeah anyways so yeah i thought that was interesting too um well, are there it, it other goes moments to uh hitchcock's i think like if the movie is shot entirely like the way that andrew is describing then there's no opportunity or little opportunity i guess for dramatic irony, which is sort of like the thing with which Hitchcock is most associated. Like the whole thing about the bomb under the table is that the audience knows yeah. this. But but it's also interesting because in that moment, the information we're given, the information the audience is given is wrong. Right. Like we're supposed to see that and think, oh, the, she's a she's alive. Like there's his wife. So what? So they're wrong. But it. Right. It wasn't. Um very cool. Yeah, and in a way, <laughs> it moves the story from, or it moves the tension in the story from how are they going to catch this murderer to, like, will they be embarrassed when they find out that they've been wrong and there wasn't actually a murderer? Or, you know, or like, like, it does kind of change. We're bummed just like the characters are because, like, we do want there to have been a murder. Like, right. The Which, movie's that's not another as fun Hitchcock if there isn't. Yeah. Favorite thing for Hitchcock to do, like in Psycho, where it's like, I can't remember if it was Tarantino or somebody talking about this where like there's the scene in Psycho where Norman pushes the car into the little swamp and mm -hmm. the uh, there's a moment where it looks like the car, you know, Janet Lee's car is not going to sink. 
And he said that like you, as you're watching that, you're like, Oh my God, he's going to get caught. Like, I don't know. And so like, like the perversion of that is that like you in the audience are just like, I really hope he gets away with murdering this woman. Mm -hmm. And then like in rear window, which is a few years before that, but like you're saying, I hadn't even thought about that, but like you're saying, it's like, it's like, gosh, I hope, you know, (laughs) I hope there was a murder. And like the characters in this are all like, you know, uh, kind of invested in there having been a murder and that's Mm -hmm. what's exciting to them. And, all that but yeah hitchcock man he's he's got themes running through all of this stuff i guess Mm -hmm. um but uh but and actually also i just watched shadow of doubt shadow of a doubt the other night and there is uh have you guys seen that one no which one it is shadow of doubt that's the one with um the uh the uncle comes to visit and i can't remember who plays him uh it's not robert cummings is it Mm. Joseph Cotton. I don't know this one. You haven't seen Shadow of a Doubt? I don't think so. You should check it out. I like that movie a lot. But anyhow, so what it what it is is uh a family's like a like a happy suburban family's um kind of shady uncle comes in and uh you gradually his his niece who is so smitten with him kind of finds out that like you know he's suspect and uh it kind of, it gets darker and it actually gets really dark. But the reason I brought it up was there are the, the, the father in the, the story in the film, um, he has like a friend who's constantly coming over to his house and they're like plotting on like how they would murder people. Like they're just really into like murder mystery stories. And so mm-hmm. they're always like, well, I'd give you this poison I read about where, you know, <laughs> it'll evaporate out of your blood or anything like that. So, but yeah, I've been watching a lot of the Hitchcock movies lately. I'm kind of <laughs> trying to rewatch, uh, the ones I haven't seen in a while and then kind of fill in some of the blanks for the ones I have. But yeah. Anyways, he's got a he lot a weird, weird dude. He does. He has a ton of movies, but they're all pretty good. Also, while we're talking about Hitchcock, uh, uh, Saboteur was one that I had never seen. And um, it's great. It's just really a really pretty movie. And like, it's pretty like a good story, but it was also just like, I was surprised for, yeah, I don't I mean, it's Hitchcock, obviously, but for something from the 40s, it like was really kind of dreamy and pretty looking and mm-hmm. points. It's a good one that you don't hear about too often. Have um, you seen the 39 steps? Yes, I love that movie. I just that was another one I just rewatched not that long ago. I um, saw that that was one that got it. It's one of his that got remade like while he was making movies. So like there's the oh, 1939 <laughs> version that he directed and then somebody right. else directed another version in 1957. Weird. I haven't even. Yeah, I've never even heard somebody mention the remake. I can't yeah. imagine it would be too good. But yeah, that was one of the first Hitchcocks I saw, too. Uh, weirdly enough, my parents just had a VHS of it and uh, it's really good. So. But but yeah, so I guess so we talked about the set some. Um, I guess the next thing I had in my notes was the sound design of the film. Yes. Is, oh, yeah. To me. So like I think Rope was. He directed Rope a couple of years before this, and I have not rewatched that, but I know that that's kind of like a, a challenge for himself. And I feel like, you know, the set of the film that we just talked about, like that's kind of Hitchcock again, challenging himself and kind of this really mm-hmm. like that's kind of the spectacle of the film. But I feel like the most experimental element of this movie is the sound design. Mm-hmm. Um, and interesting. Uh, yeah. Because, well, and I, I guess, sorry, I'm talking a bunch, but um what did you guys think of that like you know how the music no and i want to know why you, kind of... i mean talk i'm i want to know more well 
Because I can't think, I mean, I can't think of movies from the 50s, and I'm sure they exist, but it's like where almost all of the music in this movie, I, I know that there's a little bit of music from, at least from the end, there's some score, but like everything else comes from the radio, it comes from like street sounds and just yeah, kind of like right. ambient sounds of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, there's there's actually one scene, It's 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 either... I think it's when they're watching Miss Lonely Heart at night or it's something that happens at night. And it sounds so much like the soundscape of like Eraserhead when he's just walking through the city and there's like kind of the, you know, the horns blowing mm-hmm. or like the train sound in the distance and then yes. just kind of the the city sounds. And like when he- to me, Eraserhead is like, you know, that's from film from the 70s. But like that's not something you see in a lot of movies before that. But then here it was in Rear Window where it's just like they've just kind of patched this whole little i don't know soundscape together of uh my my favorite is when he's fighting the when he when ray milan's arguing with his wife and you just hear like really loud like train yeah. horns and things and it's a long scene maybe that's i think that might have been it then yeah where you can almost feel like you can imagine what they're saying but like as much as Jimmy Stewart is like, you're trying to figure out what's going on. And it's just this long, no cuts. Um, Maybe they cut to Jimmy Stewart during that, but I don't think so. And just city sounds. And it's so cool. Um, And I also love, I made a note about the amount of like pop music in this movie um, where it's like songs. I think because we're getting into the fifties now, like, um, you know, forties, thirties and forties movies also have what, qualified as like pop music then but the the songs that a lot of the songs that are in this movie like you know mona lisa for example that's amore an instrumental version of of that's amore plays are like songs that we still know and that feels unusual for a movie of this period that like the sound it has a soundtrack in a way rather than a score yeah well and you had a you uh, I don't know, months or weeks back, you texted me some interesting trivia about the musician. Uh, do you remember? No. Or maybe your dad texted me this. I thought it was you, but uh, so that's, I can't remember his last name, Bog- Bogdasarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the musician who's up there playing the piano all the time in the apartment there on kind of the right yes. of Jimmy Stewart's perspective, he went on to create Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. That's, yeah. That was probably my dad, but he probably texted me that, too. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, it might have been Big Kit. Yes. Um, but That's Dave. Uh, yes, which I, I think is crazy. Also, uh, I this is the first time I actually caught Hitchcock's cameo in this movie. So, I don't know if I've just not been I, I didn't it. see yeah. it. What He's was the it? Butler. He pops up in his apartment, in Bag- Bagdasarian's apartment. Um, he's like the butler or something or something oh. yeah he's he's like he's like messing with his clock i think he's maybe turn, turn uh winding up his clock um huh. uh, you don't have somebody to wind up your clock i mean we do but you know i mean yeah everyone's got a guy right yeah yeah everybody's got a clock guy uh but yeah anyways so i don't know i i think the sound it both in the the music and i don't remember is it they call it diegetic if it, if it comes yeah. from within the film so yeah yep. so much mm-hmm. of the Sound in this film is diegetic. I kind of just wish uh, it all I, was. Yeah. Well, I th- I don't know that there's really much score at all. Like there's. I think in the beginning, the, isn't there like an opening theme kind of? Maybe. Kind of like the I, classic kind of Hollywood I sound. think that the Lisa song at the end could be diegetic. Like it could be the musician. Coming from something. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but this yeah. is kind of related to sound, but also goes to costumes, which like the costumes in this movie are famous, um, yeah. but also really, really great. But I love that when when Grace Kelly comes over and she's talking about the wife's jewelry and how she knows that she wouldn't have left her jewelry behind. She's wearing this very loud charm bracelet that like makes noise every time she moves her hands. And it's something that you would never put an actress in. Like if you didn't like deliberately want like to kind of signal like this lady knows about jewelry. Yeah. (laughs) Look at all the jewelry she's wearing. Interesting. And that's that's the whole thing. She she like works in retail, right? Like in, in like high fashion. She's like a model, I think. Oh, is well, she okay? Well, she says way. she does say something though at the beginning of like we sell dozens of dress in this price range every day at the store. It's like an eleven hundred dollar dress is what it was. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I think she is she, she's in the industry in some form, but then it sounds like she's also independently wealthy, like maybe through her family, because he keeps kind of alluding to her her lifestyle and all that type of stuff. She works in fashion. That's all, yeah. That's all I can find. But the uh, but yeah, this was I think so. Edith Head did the costume uh, uh, costume design in this film, and she did. I looked it up, and she did eleven movies with Hitchcock throughout his career. So he must have uh, liked working with her. I have a question. Yeah. Yeah. Is this the first movie where the line, why don't I slip into something more comfortable appears? I don't know. Could be. I don't think so because they're playing on it because she doesn't mean that. Like she's making a joke. What do you mean? She She does. She slips into her nightgown. Well, but it's her sexy nightgown. No, but when she's, but she says, well, maybe does she, so then does she say it twice? Because she also says it when she's wearing the jewelry, the green pants or the green suit, skirt suit and the white halter top she says let me slip into something more comfortable and he's like cool and then she says i mean the kitchen to make coffee oh i didn't even catch i didn't oh i, I didn't catch that. That. but i don't know if I she said know. it again when she met her nightgown. i don't think she said it twice i thought she was because she had she brought she had the nightgown had been presented we know that it's there mm-hmm. and then she says let me slip into something more comfortable that was a weird thing but i feel like i can just hear some uh dame from the 30s saying that to a fella yeah, you slip into something more comfortable. But it's just weird because I know that this movie was like really edgy, yeah, um, and very sexy for the time. Um, and it was like a big deal that she was staying the night at his apartment and showing her ankles or whatever the fuck. Um, <laughs> so I just I yeah I kind of thought maybe it could be. Well, I don't know. I think Kit's right. If she's talking about the kitchen, then she's probably just referencing that. But like. Mm-hmm. Where's the naughtier version of this movie that says it? <laughs> Lisa's catchphrase. Oh, if you want to see the naughtier version of this movie, stay tuned for next week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I find um, this movie pretty fucking sexy, though. Like, oh yeah, this. I Grace Kelly them insanely, together gorgeous. the weight, but I see, and I'm like Jimmy Stewart. I mean, her too. But their scenes together where they're just like making out, you know, fifties making out and whispering to each other are so I don't know what it is but they're both I've noticed this about Jimmy Stewart too like I've talked to you guys ad nauseum about the Zigfield girl which I would love to put in a triple someday where he he's with Lana Turner and he's so good at those like necking scenes I think like it he doesn't do romance in the way that I feel that like everybody else was doing romance in like the 30s, 40s, or 50s, where it tends to be a kind of like 
doesn't look like how people actually, <laughs> you know, move and stuff. But yeah. them together felt like, wow, this is like a, a real hot couple. Like, yeah. like, you know, the way that they whisper and talk to each other. I'm like, I shouldn't be seeing this, which goes yeah. to the theme of the film. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was. They're great. They're both great kiss- at it. 50s kissing is very, very funny to me because it's just like it's a it's they make out in a way that suggests it will never, ever lead to having sex. Yes. <laughs> but this I think this is better than it usually is. Like, that's what I think. That's what I'm kind of what I'm complimenting Jimmy Stewart on is he's able to kiss in that way of like, don't open or move your mouth. Like, just kind of like. Touch the person's face, but still have it be like sexy i think at least comparatively speaking um right and all the talking they're doing is really good too all of the what all the just the things they're saying to each other and the way that she's talking and the way he's like it's really good well yeah and it's it's like uh well so with regard to the kind of the sexiness like there is a heat already to the movie from the summer like it they you know the first i think the first time we see him he's like sweating um, yeah. and then you just kind of, you just feel the heat from, from, uh, the, the sun and everything in the movie. Uh, so there's that, but yeah, like the way they like whisper and like the way that they, obviously she's like, you know, like laying on the couch, uh, yeah. in, in the poses and stuff. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, and I guess I lost my other point, but, uh, we're talking about, yeah, anyways, yeah, I concur. It's a very sexy film. Let me see what else well, I got here. Wait, go ahead. What were you gonna say? Oh, I didn't. I I was gonna move on to my next handful of notes. Okay, um, what do you got? So we did sound design. We did. We kind of discussed discussed uh, Jimmy Stewart and Grace Kelly. Um, I like Jimmy Stewart a lot. Oh my god. I uh, like. I've seen. I feel like I haven't seen him in a ton, and I honestly I didn't even see It's a Wonderful Life. Um. Until just, I don't know, a couple of years ago. I somehow just never... I'd, I'd seen bits and pieces of it, but I never watched the whole thing. Um, but I feel like it's interesting in this because like, if you go from It's a Wonderful Life, he's... I don't know. And in that, again, he is a troubled character and all that type of stuff. But I feel like it's weird. And I think it was deliberate. But in Rear Window, he's kind of... He's not a bad character. Like, by no means is his character in this, like, really bad. But obviously, he's a little creepy like he's he, you know we do gather from the film that it's weird for him to be just spying on his neighbors especially like in the scenes with like miss torso like that's he's he's leering at for sure know, his, his neighbor uh but i think it's an interesting i think he's in, very interesting interestingly cast as sort of the the kind of character he is here where both he's a little creepy but also he's just kind of mean to grace kelly like he's always yeah, badgering he's her really about mean marriage. to her <laughs> yeah and and but I think it's great. But I, I wonder if at the time that this would have been if that would have been part of what maybe disturbed and obviously audiences like this is a big hit. But I mean, for people who were bothered by this film, I wonder if a little bit of it would have been watching It's a Wonderful Life, Jimmy Stewart, who also was just in so many other movies in the in the meantime. Mm-hmm. But like watching him hmm. kind of play a little dirty like in this or something. Um, but but I think he does. I mean, it's obviously he's, he's great in this. I think, you know probably one of his defining roles that I, I think when people think yeah. of him, it's probably one of those two films uh, or maybe some of his Westerns, but I don't know. Anyways, I think, it, I think in terms of him being kind of like a creeper, I feel like I just think a lot of that is explained by the fact that he's 
a photographer of some renown. And I think, yeah. I think it just has to do with like, he's kind of been forced to like, I think, I think, you know, photography, like when you're really good at it, I think you look at the world in a different way. And I think him being trapped in his apartment yeah. has kind of, it's like he has this energy mm-hmm. that I think, I think it makes sense. I mean, yeah, he's layering at the dancer, but I think just generally there's this sort of like observant kind of framing of like the world that yeah. he is like a muscle. It's like, a, or a mm-hmm. reflex. Um, so I feel like I, I understand that just because it's like, you know, he, even if he's not, even if he's, even if, even if he's not intentionally looking out the window to look at specific things, I think, I think that he's just going to see these things naturally Mm -hmm. in a different way. And I think Mm -hmm. that's why no one else notices anything that's going on around them. Right. Yeah. It's not just that he's sitting there looking at it. It's the, it's that his brain is sort of primed to see specific sort of vignettes. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't true. find him that creepy because he's trapped. Like, it's what else can he do? Like, he has right. nothing he can do. I don't even think he has a TV. He doesn't have a TV. He probably has to be by the window if it's so hot out. Yeah. Like, no, and I, I think the movie, like, explains why he's looking and why mm-hmm. he's peeping. But it's it's also like. It is kind of like there's a couple mentioned like Thelma uh, says, you know, she's something to the effect of like, oh, it's kind of you're kind of a weirdo for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, well, and he has a camera, a long lens camera out also for right. a lot of this looking. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, that, right. that's, a, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe not super cool. Um, um, yeah. Which and I yeah. like also in the uh, in the Simpsons episode parody of this, for whatever reason, Bart has a long lens camera as well. <laughs> And he's definitely he's definitely a little bit of a prick to uh, Grace Kelly. Yeah, but like yeah, that stood out to me this watch. I'm like, God, what <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, you're like what in your fifties, and you've got this yeah. like twenty seven year old. <laughs> we're supposed to be thinking that too. I think, like, other characters are saying that shit to him as well. Like, oh are yeah, you insane. Like, right. marry her, you idiot. Yeah. I kind of get, on the other hand, I do kind of get it because he is so, he's so defined by what he does and how other people see him as this, uh, you know, particularly observant. Per- anyway, I just think that like, he's kind of, I think they set him, I also think, I also think they don't, like he doesn't really know her in the yeah. way that she knows him. And my favorite moments in the movie are um, are where he basically says, like, you can't handle my life, like my lifestyle, mm-hmm. basically. And then just like the look on his face when she shifts gears and is like, all right, let's go into this dude's apartment. Yeah. And um, the the look on his face when she comes back from delivering the note to uh mm-hmm. Thorwald's uh, apartment. There's just like these little moments of like realization that it's like, yeah. oh, I actually do love this person. Yeah. So it's like, yes, think... they set him up as an asshole and he is being an asshole, but like it gives him a place to go, you know? 
Yeah. And it's still like and it's this... still Jimmy Stewart, so it doesn't yeah. matter. Like it doesn't right. matter. We already you can you can be as mean as you want. We still like you, dude. Yeah. I think in this in like today for today's audience, like her costumes have to do a lot of the heavy heavy lifting of of trying to kind of establish our and his false impression of her that she's like too pampered but you know she's talking about an $1100 dress which is like absurd for that time period she's bringing him dinner from 21 which is like the most expensive place you could possibly <laughs> get takeout um like she does some things yeah she does th- some things in those scenes that are supposed to make her look a little bit silly and right. over the top and then kind of reveals a depth um over the course i don't even know if it's depth but just um that she's certainly you know she's climbing she's climbing a fire escape in her couture like that's pretty Mm -hmm. cool yeah well and it's it's really well summed up uh i believe right at the very end where she's in his apartment i think he's fallen asleep and she's sitting there reading something that's more kind of adventurous and then as she sees that he's dozed off and he's not looking she kind of pulls up the fashion magazine and starts looking at that so like um but yeah, and I, regarding the restaurant, since you brought that up, I laughed at the like massive carrying case that the guy had for all of those for mm-hmm. all the food. I, I've, yeah, I just thought that was fun. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. How, how about uh, any of the small performances, I guess, like. Uh, um, any any notes on any of them? It's well, really I mean, Fel- not a ton of characters. Thelma Ritter is obviously always. A delight in absolutely yeah. everything. So um, what else? I recognized her, but do you know what else she'd been in? She's in um, several, I think, like Doris Day and Rock Hudson movies. And she always okay. plays the same lady. Like this okay. kind of sassy, older f- friend of somebody okay. who uh, talks like that. Exactly. <laughs> um, she's got a type. I thought, uh, I mean, obviously, this isn't like a tiny role, but he has almost no lines. But I thought Perry Mason himself, Raymond Burr, was yeah, really, really good. Yeah, uh, very. I mean, I think a looking. lot of yeah, very intimidating. I think a lot of his role is because we see it through Jimmy uh, Jimmy Stewart's perspective. I think it's sort of it's sort of framed in a way that like Raymond Burr doesn't necessarily always need to do a ton you know yeah um, he, he he's not like he's not moving like a bad guy right and like Which well is nice. there are moments where he does but like you know like when he notices her tapping the ring and then makes eye contact through the lens oh there's yeah. that but, but like from afar when he's like doing going about his criminal business he's it doesn't I don't see him as like trying to move in a monstrous kind of <laughs> villainous sort of way. Well, here's what I think. I think if you if you were looking at it from like an extreme wide shot and he was sort of in context mm-hmm. with everything else, he doesn't seem as like, but the focus on him, I think, I don't know. There's something about it that is a little bit menacing to me. But what's interesting to me is by the time we actually see him in a scene speaking, he's... He's he's scary, but you know, like they show he walks to the door and there's that that Roger Deakins in Skyfall shot 
of uh you know the kind of triangle yeah of his face and like that's really menacing but what comes out of his mouth is just like kind of desperate just like hey man yes. what, can we work something out you know like yeah. he's yeah. not <laughs> you know he's not scary he's like you want money you know he's he doesn't his his go to isn't to just like murder more people right um so i don't know there's something interesting about that to me I yeah. another favorite um costume uh, probably my favorite costume element is his glasses in this because mm-hmm. there's that scene where the dog has been discovered and Grace Kelly I think points out that the only one who's not at the window is Raymond Burr and you can just see like in the darkness of his window like the glint I what I th- have always taken to be the glint off of his glasses that See, I thought that yeah. was a cigarette, maybe. I've always seen it as the glasses. Okay. That could be, yeah. Because the same thing happens in like the end scene when we're doing like the flash and everything. Like, right. Like something about those glasses just always like stick out in my in my head. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially, but I love yeah. that that shot of just where you barely barely know he's like sitting back there and so yeah. it's so creep that's like the scariest part to me yeah you know what's crazy hmm. is that raymond burr was 37 hmm. at the time oh wow yeah i got this that's... thing that i found this this website called how old were the actors and you type in the movie and you can cool. see how old everybody was grace kelly was 25 james stewart was 46 Gosh. And Raymond Burr was 37. Judas so Edward was 41, which is crazy. That's wow. weird that, like, I don't know exactly where I have Grace Kelly filed in my head, but it's weird that I'm now 10 years older than Grace Kelly <laughs> in this film. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, when I was a teenager watching this, I certainly did not file her in younger women. So, why she die so young? She got in a car accident. Oh, Wait, she was. Did she? I thought she had cancer. Yeah. No. Oh. oh, I thought she. Maybe I'm wrong. Could it be both? It could be both. <laughs> cancer in a car accident. She stopped acting because she married like the Prince of Monaco or something. Yeah. But then I thought she got. In a oh, car no, accident. you're right. She had a she had a stroke and 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 drove off a mountainside. Oh, Jesus. OK. So yeah. it kind of was both in a way. It, yeah. <laughs> so, double whammy. That's sad. You really hate to see it. You do. Grace Kelly was. Yeah, she was great. And actually, I, one fun little trivia thing. Um, the Country Girl came out the same year as this, mm-hmm. and both Rear Window and The Country Girl were nominated for Best Picture. So I thought that was interesting for the Oscars. When did she win yeah. her Oscar? Was it right? Oh, that's right. She was, she was she got married to royalty. Yeah. Yeah. Forgot about oh, yeah, that. She won. She won for The Country Girl. She did win for the country. Okay, that's mm-hmm. crazy. Nobody, no, yeah. She I don't know. do that many. There, there's features. a be kind re- rewind about that year, um, because that might be a Star Is Born. I think that might be the year she upset Judy Garland, and it's just oh, when you really? look at what kind of movie that was. Like she, Grace Kelly played ugly. You know, like she played right. a, like a normie. I think she has glasses in that movie at time, and it's just like so like. The kind of role that would get a pretty, a pretty lady an an Oscar, yeah, um, yeah. Her career is pretty crazy. Like she started acting in 1950, and it's just like 
constant TV work. And she's got, she has one movie that came out in 1953. And then as soon as she finished her last TV series in 1954, she does Dial M for Murder, Rear Window, The Country Girl, Green Fire, The Bit, The Bridges of Toko Ri, in, all in 1954. Dang. And then she makes three more movies after that between 1955 and 1966 and that's it yeah that's so weird so dial m for murder rear window and to catch a thief were the only three she did with hitchcock is that right i think so yeah okay you can't marry a prince and not and keep acting i guess hey, so Meghan markle will prove exactly. you wrong kit wait she's not acting well you know she's gonna try isn't she gonna also, do some kind of no one knew who Meghan markle was before she married Sarah she was on suits did she watch she suits? Bunch, oh yeah, well, she's in a bunch of Hallmark movies. Yeah, Everyone she was in suits. some of those. I don't like yeah. them. I don't. Uh, yeah. Anyway, nobody likes nobody likes Meghan Markle, <laughs> especially the Queen. Yeah, apparently. I guess Oprah likes Meghan Markle. That's I feel thing. like there can be no better compliment to a person than being disliked by the royal family of Britain. So she's probably yeah. pretty cool. Even the Queen. Queen the queen cool. is a fucking piece of shit. I would hang out with the queen before I would hang out with Megan. Oh, just I'd being honest. I'd much rather hang out with Megan. But I wouldn't want to hang out with any of them. Name yeah. one thing Fair that enough. the queen has done that makes her a piece of shit. One thing. I don't... Wow, okay, she's there it the is. She's the, she's the queen? She's a queen. How about that? Does that qualify? Hey, it's no. not like she's the queen of my country. I don't care. No. <laughs> You're no, yeah, that's toast. fine. I don't have to care, but it's just like being a queen in 2021. How about that? You know wow. what? There are, of, there are a lot of there are a lot of queens. There are a lot yeah. of queens out there, Dennis. Or excuse me. Oh, kid. <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> I'm thinking about drag queens. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say Kit comes out swinging against the LGBT community all of a yeah. sudden. It's pretty yeah. crazy. I hate queens. Unexpected. But then the, the real Mike, crazy thing is when Andrew called the comes out <laughs> against the Q plus community by leaving them out of the LGBTQ plus. Uh, do you mean the QIA plus community, Andrew? <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> we have to cut this. <laughs> we do. Okay, yeah, I don't know. We can, we we can cut it. We need to. Um. Uh. Well, anyways, we won't go there. Um. So what else we got here? Uh, some quick notes on the screenwriter, uh, John Michael Hayes. He also wrote To Catch a Thief, <clears throat> The Trouble with Harry, and The Man Who Knew Too Much, the the second one, uh, with Hitchcock. And then I think the, this, there's a first sorry, one. Go ahead. Yeah, Hitchcock directed two Man Who Knew Too Much is. <laughs> Man's Who Knew Too Much. Yeah, man, yeah. Thank Why? you. Why? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I haven't seen the second one. The first one's really good. I like the first one. Which one's the first one? The, it's from the 30s. It's got a uh, I think Peter Laurie's in it. Oh, I think um, I've only seen the, the 50s second one. one. Yeah, the uh uh what's his name? Uh James Yeah, oh, James Stewart. There he is. What a great Is Jimmy Stewart in that one too? Okay. I haven't yeah. watched that one yet. James Stewart and um Doris Day. Oh yeah. I haven't seen that one. Elmer Ritter's I wonder friend. which one's better. I think that this the script in this movie is so fucking good. Yeah, it's like still funny. Their patter is still very fun. I love um, I love when Grace Kelly says, I've always wanted to meet Mrs. Thorwald like she's 
talking like she's in a detective novel it just it really comes across the way that they're like playing because that's such a stupid thing to because like obviously she hasn't like <laughs> she didn't know that she existed until a few days ago yeah. um and it's just it's that's very cute i also like it makes it's like so adorable and heartbreaking when she goes i wish i could be creative like yeah that's so sad <laughs> um yeah it's really there's nothing there's like very little the only scene i think that's that i kind of go eh about is when his his fr- police friend is over and just he just keeps looking at the nightgown and stuff and i'm like what i don't it's i think i'm too this is too long ago for me to understand what's being communicated here is it that they're fucking i feel yeah. like it's i feel like it's i could be wrong but it feels like it's like intended to to show that what they're doing is like not okay cuz he's so judgmental about it i don't right. know it's weird but then maybe it's also it could also be uh what was the what were they what was the rating system at this time? Was this Hayes oh, Code stuff? Or did they have like the most I think that would have been over by now. Was there an MPAA or is there nothing? I don't know, actually. It's I don't co- know. I'm just, code, like, I'm just right? really curious because I know that like Hitchcock had like special uh basically he had like special treatment when it came okay. to like ratings and things. And it's just makes me wonder if there's like an ulterior motive. You there's know, some, sure. there's definitely something being communicated. It's just that like if it is about like hmm, she's sleeping here, well it's like everybody else in the apartment complex is also doing like like it doesn't the the rest of the the sensibility of the rest of the movie, like both in both sexually and like the way that they're discussing a woman ch- who got chopped up is like doesn't fit whatever kind of prudishness is coming seems to be but that's... coming across in that. But that's like, that's how it always is. That's how it is now, where it's like, you know, sex is like a way bigger deal than violence. I can turn on AMC and watch somebody's face get ripped off by a zombie on The Walking Dead. But, you know, I got to Google to find a tit. (laughs) (laughs) You should try Bing. Okay. All right. Like Bing. Um, One thing I do like about that scene is when the detective fella is watching Miss Torso. And I like the way Jimmy Stewart goes, how's your wife? And he goes, oh, she's fine. Like the way he said yeah. it, it made me laugh. But there's another maybe, really. F- Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say Sorry. maybe that is the cherry on top of the uh, sexual tension of the scene or the uh, not sexual yeah. tension, but the, you know, the moral tension. Right. Maybe that's kind of like pointing out his hypocrisy for being judgmental about. Well, he uh, kind of only turns Lisa. into a dick when he finds out Grace Kelly is there. And I, man, that dude sucks. I also, there's, there's a really funny line where Grace Kelly comes in the door and she goes over to him. She goes over to Jimmy Stewart and he goes, what did you do with your hair? Like, he doesn't like it. It sounds like whatever she did. And she starts to answer and then he just interrupts her and starts talking about what uh, Thor, <laughs> Thorwald's been doing. And she plays it so cute. She's really, really um, good and natural in this movie. I feel like she's so she's a little bit like Audrey Hepburn, where like they're so cute and beautiful that you kind of expect them not to be talented or something. Or it's like it's so easy for them to just rest on like their natural charm that their acting ability doesn't get very much um, attention. 
And she's really, I mean, you know, she's really like holding her own with Jimmy Stewart in this, in this movie. Um, yeah. Jimmy Stewart, who's, you know, decades into his acting career. Um, she's really good. And they don't, and honestly, to me, like, nothing about their age difference doesn't bother me because she seems to meet him so well. Like, they feel very well matched to me in in the film. I'm not, yeah. like, grossed out by, you know, the fact that he's 20 years, 20 plus years older than her. Um, they make sense. Plus, he's Jimmy Stewart, so. One, th- one thing I noticed about the movie this time with regard to Grace Kelly is there's kind of a weird section in the middle where she's not even really around for like 20, 25 minutes, um, which I don't know. It hasn't always stuck out to me, but I guess I just mm. watched this movie last year. And so I guess watching it again so soon, she's got to go to work, like, dude. She's not in that apartment sure. all day. She doesn't have a broken it. leg. It, it's just kind of odd for the story because by yeah. the end, she's such a dominant mm. character again that it's kind of like, Oh yeah, Grace Kelly's back. But, but yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think the screen, we were kind of, we got into this talking about the screenwriter, um, and the script. And I think it is, it's, it's like, it's a very interesting script and it really, as somebody who's attempted to write things, Mm -hmm. uh, it's really hard to remember for me, at least it's really hard to remember what character knows what. And then mm-hmm. what you've told the audience that you haven't told the characters. And I feel like that in a lot of different places in this movie, um, the movie does a really, the, the, the script does a really good job of maintaining uh, kind of like there's the tension of like, well, we saw the woman mm-hmm. leave the apartment, but Jimmy Stewart doesn't know that. And then there's also just, I don't know. There's just lots of little things where it's like, there really is a lot of clearly like a lot of, uh, thought into this kind of machine mm-hmm. this story machine that's that's moving um yeah, yeah. and then on top of I, that there is mm-hmm. oh sorry well Go i ahead. just i also t- kind of to that end i think like i find this to be like on this watch particularly one of the most like impressively paced movies i've seen con- especially considering what it has to work with there's really one location i think it's fair to say yeah and there are long stretches of the film with no dialogue. Like we're just, yeah. and no music. Like we're just watching events unfold. There's so little to work with in a way, even as there's a lot to keep control of with both the set and the, and the pieces of the story. But it's like this movie flat to me flew by like a 22 minute sitcom episode. Like it went, <sighs> it went by so fast considering how, small in a way all of the events of it are like until the end when she goes into his apartment and you're like holy shit like shit really ramps up yeah the rest of it is like very very mild activity like just watching yeah. a guy do something and not even really it's, seeing what he's doing it's what i love it's a it's like a hangout movie almost yeah it's like right yeah but it goes by so quickly yeah like yeah I, two I, hours i think right or maybe it's like an quite. hour and hour 50 minutes, I think. Yeah. OK, so, yeah, I will say that it is. <laughs> and we, I think I talked about this like a few weeks ago. I don't remember what episode, but just oh, Red Shoes, I think just like how m- movies of this time they get to like the the climactic end and they just the movie end. just abruptly over. Yeah. And there is something about this that it it shifted. It almost like the t- it was like a tone shift. Um in a kind of jarring way where 
after he falls out the window, uh, it's sort of like, do you guys remember Men in Black when um, Will Smith is in the interrogation room and he's like, oh, I've got all this paperwork. And like he gets like in lights, like it's like a, a, a really quick succession of things happen. And all of a sudden he's free to go. Like his boss walks by and says, you know, hey, great work on the paperwork or whatever. And it's just sort of like that where like he falls out the window and it's like the cops are in his apartment with uh, Raymond Burr for no more than 45 seconds. And in that time, he's confessed to the murder, uh, confessed to uh burying and digging up and moving mm-hmm. the murder weapons and has told the cops where the body of his uh <laughs> murder wife murdered wife is so it's just like this very funny thing and then there's something about the way like jimmy stewart is laying there and 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 the way he's acting is this sort of like oh brother you know what are you gonna do kind <laughs> of thing and then it's I don't know. It's just very weird to me. It's like I kind of we don't feel like... really need any of that either. No. Is the is sort of the thing. We know he's the murderer. There's there's you don't need to tell us in any in any more certain terms. We know he's the murderer. Um so it's just sort of weird that it's like you have to add this like extra like bow to it, I guess, to make sure everyone understands. I I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I do think though, so with that with that ending in a way, feels more like real, like how that would go in real life <laughs> than movies that have like a very, uh, you know, drawn out, like the killer like tries to resist. Like if if that really happened to Raymond Burr, like he would just be like, okay, you're done, dude. <laughs> like, yeah. You think like... you think if five, <laughs> se- five seconds after you're busted by the cops, you think he's like rattling off a list of uh, his crimes and and I think people I think it's way more likely that he would immediately confess to everything than that he would have some master plan for hiding it. Honestly. I think it's people way tell, more likely that his Miranda rights they... get read and he gets a lawyer. No, this was before that's the Miranda thing. Read. You would that's what he should do. <laughs> that's not what people do. You think? Hold on. You think? Just to clarify, you think this this the the struggle happens, and then he says, the cops come in, they point a gun, they say freeze. He throws his hands up and says, "Yep, I did it. I murdered my wife. Uh, I buried the I think, the murder weapon in this flower bed. Then 50, I dug it up, threw it in the river, and her body parts are in the East River." I mean, ish. I think fifty people just saw him hanging Jimmy Stewart out of a window. <laughs> yeah. Like he's not. He's clearly not getting away with his crimes. I think he, I think it's way more likely that he would give up than than have some like master plan. I have no problem with him giving up. He's clearly guilty. It's just it's it's I the think, cadence of it. It's it's I, I hear it's what bizarre. you're both saying. <laughs> it's not re- it's if if we're talking about if we're talking about how like natural a lot of the other things in the movie feel, this is not a, this beat is not natural. It's str- it it yes I do I I agree that it's possible he would have given up, uh, and given up the goods. I think, but I think what they're doing is they're taking, you know, him getting in the in the cop car, going down, you know, getting a statement. They're taking all of the like actual, you know, the the like kind of arduous police work and just condensing it into mm-hmm. uh, a line of exposition, which is fine, but it's also weird. 
you know what I'm shocked by? What I find more unnatural? I- I'm shocked that they couldn't find a way to drop Jimmy Stewart out of a second floor window in a more realistic <sighs> way. He's like, yeah. he's not that high up. Just like drop him onto a fucking pillow. Do they not yeah. have those big mattresses back then? I know. I mean, well, he's Jimmy Stewart. He's, you know, precious cargo, but still. <laughs> yeah. I don't like that effect where he's like no. falling. Yeah. That's not oh, the, the helicopter. I thought that I hated the helicopter. I thought that looked really bad. What was that was just showing off, right? It was like really bad showing off because it was like the helicopter was shot with what I think is like a camera that wasn't locked off. And then the shot that it's composited into is locked off. So like the the helicopter's bouncing around the frame, but the frame mm-hmm. isn't moving. So right. it just doesn't you can tell that it's not in this it's not of this world. Right. So yeah. I didn't get it. But yeah, maybe, maybe it's like a a visual effect that they're well, showing off. I, watching this time, I was like, oh, yeah, how does that play into it? And then it's like, it doesn't at all. It's just, it's like, I, so I think it must be just, look, we can make it look like there was a helicopter here, sort of. It's so funny <laughs> to me that it's just like, it's it's very funny because it's like, here is, you know, through our eyes, this is the lamest way to like add a little bit of thrill to your movie. But just like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just, I, I was kind of picturing, what year did this movie come out? 57? 54. 54. So I'm just imagining like people in 1954 being like, whoa, <laughs> ah, <Yeah>. helicopter. <laughs> I was just thinking about that with, with um because I was watching that Black Cauldron video and they were showing a lot of clips of Sleeping Beauty, which, which I like, that's probably my favorite, like classically, classic Disney movie. Um, in terms of like its anim in its beauty, you know. Um, yeah. but th- I was watching the flames come out of the of Ma- Maleficent's ma- mouth, those like green flames, and I was like, "Did people like lose their fucking shit?" Because like it looks cool. I'm not saying it doesn't look cool, but like we're like we don't watch that and go because they were talking about how um the animators in the seventies, like a lot of them didn't think that Disney was being as innovative as it had once been where like, they were always trying to like, kind of like in a Hitchcockian sense, like do things that were hard for the sake, kind of for the sake of it. Like, like let's push things forward. And I was thinking about that dragons, that dragon fire of just like, I wonder if people wreck at the time were able to go, holy shit, I can't believe they're able to make it look like fire, you know, to animate fire, whereas now we're just, like, used to it. And same with, like, that helicopter where people are like, whoa, how'd he do that? I know how he did it. Yeah, I know, but you're a smart, you're a 2000s man. That's right. <laughs> so another note I had, oh, actually, on the, while we're talking about the script, uh, so it balances... Uh, all of the which characters know what and you know like the like you were saying the pacing's really good but i also think and this could have been largely hitchcock's contribution because i know he basically co-wrote this uh from the sound of it but there's not only is the movie well paced not only is the main mystery very well delivered but there's like basically these little short films occurring in each of these windows and we Mm -hmm. return to them Either as, you know, there's kind of the the recurring gags with the married couple, you know, on the left and then um, Miss Torso and then Miss Lonely Heart has like her story to me is just very like it's genuinely you kind of get into it. You feel really sad for her. 
Um, well, and when they when they when she's like appears to be suicidal and they keep turning away from her, I'm like, go knock on right. her. Like you're. I was really worried about her even while you know all of the Raymond Burr stuff was happening. Yeah, well, I think. But I think that's kind of in line with the, you know, voyeuristic theme. You know, it doesn't yeah. really like that's that's sad and uninteresting. Yeah. Yeah. But do they murder, really? Yeah, they don't really care. Yeah, that's fucking cool. Well. Yeah, and I, I I could see that, but I also think it sets us more in Jimmy Stewart's character, where he really can't get up. And sure, he could send yes. Grace Kelly down there, but like, you they know, are, but Mike, they're all in the apartment looking out the window at when she, at at her when right. she has a glass of water and a pile of red pills and the no, no yeah the, i think i think that the the voyeur <coughs> element of the movie is like i think you're right that that's not really that's not their main concern because they're so preoccupied with this thing but i think another element of the film is the like we are as an audience we are jimmy stewart stuck in his chair and so we can only watch Thorwald coming at us and we can only watch, um, you know, these kind of events unfold in all these windows. And would you how would you because that scene where, you know, he comes in on Lisa. I mean, Jimmy is the, it's very scary. And, and I love that he's trapped in his chair and I love his acting. But I just go like. Wouldn't I do s- I would wouldn't I still find some way like what would you do in that situation in his situation with his resources yeah like I don't know call call the guy's phone send Thelma Ritter out there um well you could also probably yell scream yeah scream like I'm watching you kill a woman so you might not want to do that or the cops are the cops are on their way like he truly (laughs) does but see, that's, there's multiple moments there where he, rather than acting, he kind of is just resigned to watching. Yes, yes. So I, th- I think that that's all, you know, I think, it's, yeah. it's maybe a little unrealistic, but I think that that's, it's possibly, I, I would I would assume deliberate in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's part of, we're, we're supposed to feel frustrated and like, oh, I want to do something. I, you know, why can't we do something? Right. And Well, and of um, course, it's looking like, a, you know, what he's watching is a screen. essentially he's just you know a window and a screen are very similar and i think i also think it's cool that i have to imagine you know this is to me this feels like no offense to tom cruise but this feels like the kind of role that tom cruise would read and be like i'm not gonna play a guy who (sighs) does (laughs) nothing right (laughs) like as his as his girlfriend's being murdered yeah and is so like even when when Raymond Burr is attacking him like he's just fully helpless like he's not doing anything even right to fight in a way and and he is genuinely incapacitated obviously but it's a very it feels unusual to see such a huge male star of this time play such a passive and helpless kind of role and i'm sure you're right mike that it's you know it's (laughs) it's a it is a deliberate evocation of the role of the of the audience yeah when i Um, think i think that so at one point lisa mentions um the rear window ethics she says something to that effect and like i kind of wonder and i don't think that like oh the movie's actually about 
you know, movies necessarily. Like obviously on, on a level it is, a part of it is about that. And I kind of think a lot of the inspiration for Hitchcock in this might've been like the ethics of making, you know, like you just said, a window is like a screen. Yeah. And so it's like, what are the ethics of making murder movies or what are the ethics of making, you know, of watching people die and of getting, you know, and I think that's, it runs like we talked about earlier with psycho that runs throughout his career. Mm -hmm. And especially as you get into his, I mean, psycho and on onward, uh, that's, you know, it's not that he would, I mean, I know he was, you know, raised Catholic and all this type of thing, but it's not like he was making uplifting moral films. Uh, no. And so I, I think that, yeah. And I, I think on a story level, some of those things don't work, but I think on a thematic level, that yeah. that's almost what it's all about uh, in some regard. I would certainly so. rather see Jimmy Stewart's face just reacting to a situation that he yeah. is not trying to intervene or, in than him like do something heroic <laughs> right in that and like moment. in, in uh, vertigo where he's where there's we have some sort of reason within the story as to why he's paralyzed from you right. know he's he's so afraid and you know so maybe more of that like yeah but i mean i don't know for me it all worked anyways but i guess yeah. when you really start to dig into it you could be like oh maybe you could flesh it out some no, i but, think that's yeah. what's good i think that's what's good about the movie is that it is grounded in its own reality, but still manages to have these, like, I don't know, David Lynchy kind of <laughs> moments of not fantasy, but sort of some other reality, some yeah. movie reality, like, seeping into it. I, uh, on that note, I want to throw in, we can cut this out, but I was watching, my dad gave me a free week sample of a thing called Masterclass. Have you guys heard of that? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I watched the David Lynch class and it was interesting. It was a little dry at points, but it was also, he was more forthcoming as a teacher uh, than he is in a lot of interviews. And so it was really interesting in that way. And he was talking about three movies that really influenced him uh, was one was Sunset Boulevard, one was Chinatown, and then one was It's a Wonderful Life. Mm -hmm. And when he was talking about It's a Wonderful Life, uh, he was talking about Jimmy Stewart and he said he was he was like, you know, you could see he was like kind of getting getting choked up as he was talking about it. And uh, which is weird because David Lynch is so kind of aloof, like he seems like he just like in, in interviews, he's just very kind of straightforward and like he seems kind of focused. Um, but like uh, but apart from like the concerns of a normal human. Uh but he starts talking about it's a wonderful life. And he's like, there's a scene, there's a, a moment in that film where uh, Jimmy Stewart says the way he says Mary, and you can hear it in his voice. You can hear it in his soul. And it's so, and he kind of like trails off. And I don't remember if he finishes or not, but he's like got tears in his eyes. And I was mm -hmm. just like, Holy crap. I've never <laughs> like, we're almost watching David Lynch cry. Yeah. Uh, so it was really fascinating. Anyways, I meant to, I don't know, text that or whatever. Uh, but so we can cut that out of the podcast. But since you mentioned, no, Lynch, I think I thought, it's about Jimmy Stewart. So that's true yeah it. it does it, it uh, yeah but it yeah. was it was interesting it was it was a really it was a cool class to watch but then it also made me really want to watch it's a wonderful life again i just i just rewatched it and i know what david lynch is talking about and it's really very, okay it's very affecting that movie is yeah. i saw it i think we watched it again in our film studies class maybe mm. yeah and then i didn't watch it again until i saw it we went to one of those like things where you see the movie and, and a symphony plays along with the score uh -huh. or plays oh, the yeah. score um and I like fell in love with it. It's like I watched it and then we watched it again um, 
this last Christmas. And it's just like, oh, that movie's so good. It's so fucking, it it's so wonderful. It's yeah. wonderful. It's a wonderful <laughs> life. It's a wonderful <laughs> movie. All right. Anyway. It's a wonderful life. More like it's a wonderful movie. That's yeah, that's what right. called that's it. That's what I should have, yeah. That's, what that's going said. on the poster. <laughs> that's going on the poster. That's right. <laughs> there is something um, with, because like I, I like that movie. I probably could stand to rewatch it. It's been a long time. And I, you know, I'm not, I think it's, I think it's great. I love Jimmy Stewart, but there is something with men and that movie. <laughs> I think yeah, at least yeah. like every man in my life, like that's their favorite. I, th- <laughs> I think, I mean, that's definitely one of my dad's favorite movies. I think it might be Lee's dad's favorite movie. Like, like, and I, like I said, I connect to it, but the way that I've seen like dudes connect. To it, it's yeah. Like, well, and it's wow. funny, I guess not to talk about it's a wonderful life for too long, <laughs> but it's funny because like. You know, you guys know I bitch and moan about politics and movies and like messages mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And that movie is a pretty plainly socialist message mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or I, collectivist or I don't know, whatever you would want to call it. But uh, but yeah, but it's still like it just hits your heart. Like it's like it doesn't nothing about the polit- politics of the film bother me or like, you know, uh, the I don't know the. I, I don't know if it's like an actively anti-capitalist film, but it's certainly got that sort of in, in the way that so many like kids books and stuff have the the mean rich guy, uh, guy and all that. Type well, of stuff. it is very funny to me but, because um, like my grandmother hates It's a Wonderful Life. And it's because really? she because she views it as anti-capitalist. She basically said okay. like, and she's described and before I had seen it recently. I swear, It's a Wonderful Life comes up very often when I talk to my grandmother like about yeah. movies. She's like, I hate that movie. She's like, why should Mr. Potter have to give all his money away? And uh, yeah. <laughs> and and nobody and why shouldn't any of these other people have to work for it? And I'm like, why? And I go and watch the movie, and it's like, that is not in the movie. So there is this sort of pro-capitalist, like weird, like revisionist thing okay. that's gone with gone on with that movie where like people people being my grandmother and i assume others uh just don't realize that like oh no mr potter's a legit criminal uh <laughs> and like none of the people like none of the people in the who uh who are part of the co-op like it's not about it's not about them like uh exercising a socialist uh ideology or whatever it's literally just like this is the only way we could afford to have a house right. if we ha- it, uh, our own home is if we help each other. Otherwise, we're all going to be victims to this slumlord. So right. I don't know. I think it's it's a little bit more evolved than just like capitalism goods or bad socialism good. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But so there's a, but there's yeah. nuance to it, you know? Right. Yeah. But it's like as I'm watching It's a Wonderful Life at no point does it at least the, the couple of times now that I have watched it like you know nothing entered my mind of like yeah it's like you know, but i'm not sure why. i quite agree with this it's just like my I god think, this movie's great i think that's why though yeah well and, and actually another element is like gremlins is in a weird way uh it you know it's not a remake of it's a wonderful life but it certainly pulls about i don't know 25 percent of its dna from that uh and that one is a little more like a cartoonish it's, it's like a cartoonified version of it so i guess the the uh anyways we, we don't need to talk about it i think anymore. i think frank that's one of frank capra's skills though because um you know he also did mr deeds goes to town which we watched right. which is very you know and then mr smith goes to washington 
obviously. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's good at that dance, I guess. Yeah. And you know, it was such a different time, too, that I'm sure that our our experience in watching it is probably different than like your grandma watching it. For sure. Um, yeah. Anyhow. All right. Next note I had was about the editor, uh, George Tomasini, who he also worked with Hitchcock on to catch Tomasini. a thief. Tomasini. Tomasini. Yeah. Um, to catch a thief, the man who knew too much, the wrong man, Vertigo, North by Northwest, Psycho, the birds and Marnie. So it kind of feels like with Rear Window, Hitchcock is starting to kind of find his team. Maybe there's a lot of recurring players. Uh, you know, I don't know if they were. Yeah, anyways, I, th- I thought it was interesting. Um, I guess I got some notes on like voyeurism, peeping toms. Uh, I guess we've kind of discussed most of just the ideas of audiences and stuff. Um, I guess in general, and feel free to chime in if you guys have more notes too. I'm just going through my sheet here. Um, I really like it kind of like I was saying earlier with like multiple things going on in a frame. Um, I think that can be really discombobulating, but like Mm -hmm. when it's done well in a movie, there's just like a certain, uh, there's a a very unique pleasure to that, that you just don't usually get like that kind of overwhelming stimulus kind of thing. Like in uh, Phantom of the Paradise, which we watched where there's that scene with the juicy fruits, uh, and there's the bomb in the car. And then there's the split screen. It's like, that's one of my favorite things in a movie, like yeah. in any movie. And uh, yeah, it's just like because you're trying to keep up with everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And De Palma does that a lot uh, in his movies. So that's something I enjoy. And uh, you see it here with all the different people in the different apartments doing their thing. I like that. Um, but yeah, I guess that's most of what I got. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny that Jimmy Stewart uh so his his nurse what did you say her name was Thelma Ritter yeah Ritter yeah so she's like working class like she he's very pretentious to her mm-hmm. and then she leaves and then when Lisa comes in immediately Jimmy Stewart yes. is kind of playing the rube and she's the uh, great you know Lisa's the pretentious one now and I thought that mm-hmm. was kind of interesting. That is interesting um and uh that was my final note that's all I got do you guys have any other thoughts or stragglers those were all my notes okay cool beans yeah i don't have anything i would just say that um the only thing i i kind of wanted to emphasize was um the scene where he comes and actually tries to kill jimmy stewart um the footage of him of them actually struggling i thought was very frightening uh it was just very cool how it kind of just became like extremely tight almost nonsensical just very frenetic and it it and the and the sound design it just it felt like strangling yeah yeah, yeah. and then the noises that jimmy stewart is making were very yes it's, it's it's legitimately like unnerving and it feels yeah. extremely real i think that's another reason why i have such a problem with like the subsequent like resolution is it's just like I I legitimately felt like I was watching a man be murdered and then the next beat, you know, the birds are singing and it's just this sort of weird, (laughs) unnatural like transition. Yeah. Well, guys, you know what time it is, don't you? No, Mike, what time is it? That's right. It's time for the cruise minute. (laughs) 
You know, we could insert the uh, Mission Impossible, like the. That was my idea. Was to have was to have we could record something, or but we're doing that tune, but just saying Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, Tom. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, but I come up with a new tune every week. That's true. And they've all been winners so far. So why would you? There's a lot of cruise news. What do you got? There is a lot of cruise news. Well, we haven't talked about the Golden Globes thing. Okay. What I have no idea what happened. I don't. I didn't read about it. I just. I. I don't. I don't either. I just know he. (laughs) Nobody gives a shit about the Golden Globes. I know exactly. He returned. He returned his statuettes. He returned his two or three Golden Globes that he has. It had something to do with uh, the Golden Globes not being inclusive or something. Yeah. Or being and like. Here's what I'll say about it. I don't know anything about it, but it was enough to make Tom Cruise get political. Well, yes and no. What do you mean? I think that this was a very calculated move on Mr. Cruz's part since the last time he was really in the news as a big way was him yelling at a bunch of people on his movie set. And as much as we think he came out good in that, and I think certainly it didn't certainly doesn't seem like his reputation took a hit. I feel that Mr. Cruz is probably calculating enough to see like, oh, well, these are just Golden Globes. And I don't give a shit about them anyway. And if I, ret- <laughs> if I return them to this academy, it's going to make it, you know, it's going to make people, you know, at least make it hard for them to be like, well, Tom Cruise is, you know, a crazy asshole or whatever, um, because that's such a like. You know, mm. that is the thing that's it, it is. It does. It seems even though it is actually meaningless, it seems like a big move. It is actually a pretty heavy blow to the Golden Globes. We're like they're saying like like NBC or whoever airs the Globes might buy. Might buy out of the contract that they have so that they don't have to air them anymore. And I'm like, See- what? What if Tom Cruise saves movies and manages to kill movie award shows at the same yeah. time. Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, I, I feel like movie award shows are about dead anyway. Right, but so this I is, that's like, why this is like a finishing move almost. Sure. I just thought it was funny. I didn't I didn't even know if it was sexual harassment or racial diversity or whatever it was. Uh that was the controversy with the gloves. But I did I did see the thing about NBC possibly dropping them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well that's Yes, we just had the lowest, like, record-breaking, lowest-rated Oscars of all time. So, uh, yeah. But it would, I think, cost them millions of dollars to even to get out of airing them as well. Um, They canceled them. They were mean to um, Brendan Fraser, let's remember. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association, according to Brendan Fraser, helped kill Brendan Fraser's career. Really? Okay. Um, Yes. So well, that's enough for me to give back my gloves. Ex- that's what I'm thinking is it's like, even if whatever the reason people are mad at the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, I mean, and I see at the base of it, the reason they're mad is the reason that we all think these awards are stupid, which is like one of one of the key facts that has been going around. I happen to see is that the show Emily in Paris. Which is. Ter- I watched it all so I can tell you definitively. Definitely not deserving of any awards. <laughs> um, flew members of the H- HPF, no, Hollywood Foreign, HFPA to France and gave them this like extravagant whirlwind thing to try to advertise the show. And then this other show that everyone 
is on a lot of like critical best of lists, the Michaela Cole show. Um, and widely, fairly widely, I mean, as widely as anyone watches any television these days, but like considered to be uh, one of the greats, wasn't nominated at all and didn't have the resources to do what uh, Netflix did. So it's also a blow to Netflix, which is another good thing. Netflix hmm. is also getting bad press right now because of this. And anyway, I think, you know, that is and the Golden Globes has always been more blatant about the fact that you can buy an award. Um, by basically schmoozing foreign journalists. Okay. Um, so for them, so even more so than the Oscars, they are probably blatant, more more blatantly full of shit in a way that everyone kind of widely acknowledges. But, you know, that is the reason these are bullshit, is that you can pay to have one. <laughs> so Tom Cruise being like, you know, fuck this, is like, even if it was like a calculated PR room, which is what I, PR move, which was what I think it was, is still a death blow <laughs> to a really stupid thing. And I'm, I can get behind that. Sure. It seems like there's not a lot of losers in our, exactly. from our perspective. Yeah. Now, if let me ask you guys this. So, yeah. Okay. Oscars, stupid. Golden Globe, stupid. However, what if you guys got nominated for an Oscar? Would you be excited? I, I think Mike would have to not go. Or he's a yeah, big well, Mike definitely can't go. But kid, I think <laughs> Wait, you I could go? probably find a way to make it to make it work. I could go to a party. I, I don't know, Mike. Parties, Mike. <laughs> everything, everything about you would be up for debate after that. You know what I would do? I would go hang out with Woody Allen at his jazz club on Austin. Okay, that would, would, that would actually <laughs> be the right. That would make sense. Yeah, I I'd think, pick up the tradition. Like I would. I think there's leeway for me because, like, because I genuinely I enjoy the fashion aspect mm -hmm. of the oscars so mm -hmm. i would be sad if we all decide that we're too serious for that shit you know um i, I never said that are you kidding me i'd be I'd, I'd be so excited to go to the oscars i'd be so happy yeah the camera would come to me you guys be watching from your couch and i'd be like Thumbs i would up, go if happy. i was if i was nominated if i was nominated for an oscar i would go I would, I think, genuinely hope that I didn't win it. <laughs> okay, think. but okay, but you do win. I do win. I give it to someone else. Like Hail, I would give it to someone else on not. the movie. No, I would. Like, let's think of it this way. Like, if I wanted, if I made a movie and like we were working on it together, I would give you the Oscar. No, okay. Well, in this case, we both won him because we're producers. I'd give it to Mike then. That I don't even I don't even believe I don't believe you. I don't. I believe totally you. would. You. I totally you would. You don't. You don't put that in your house. No, I would be more interested probably in the experience of going to the Oscars than I would be in winning an Oscar. At least being sell it on eBay. One. I mean, good lord, you can't. You're not allowed it's, to do uh, that. Yeah, they won't let you sell it. You can okay. give it to Jimmy, a museum. Sell it on the dark web. Jimmy Stewart gave away yeah. his Oscar. I think he put it in it was like in a hardware store in his hometown i want to say in illinois i mean um, Jimmy Stewart. or something yeah. yeah jimmy stewart rules what he does cool rule <sighs> they don't make him like they used to i mean i Good wish i could be the kind of person stewart. who didn't even show up like that would be that's so baller when like you don't go to the oscars yeah. when you're nominated like maggie smith or whatever like that's really cool um yeah. but i but i would but the, the 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 only good thing about being nominated for an oscar i think would be like seeing 
how all that shit goes down you know what like, if oh yeah i think it would be fascinating to go see just the spectacle of it yeah um but uh what if you could give like a fiona apple type speech and just be like this whole world is bullshit man this is all uh, you know my my favorite yourself. move at the oscars and i would this is what would be fun to do it really only works if you're in an acting category because people don't know the other guys in the other categories but i like the um the Michael Caine style speech of just talking about your fellow nominees and saying like what you liked about the performance. Joaquin Phoenix did that too, like That's at cool. the SAGs or something. SAGs, it makes more sense. But yeah, I like that kind of move where I wouldn't say, I wouldn't thank anybody. I would just talk about like the other people I was nominated with or talk about like who my favorite actor was or something. Yeah. No, I think, it, I, I, honestly, I think you could just get up and just be like, thank you so much. It's great to have your recognition and then like do something like that. Like you don't you have to like definitely... totally like, disown it or something, but. You should definitely do. You should definitely just say thank you and get off the stage rather than thanking a really long list of people. Yeah. Actually, what I would do is I would say thank you, and then I would just go on a really long pro-Trump tirade until they played me off the stage. Just to see what would happen. I would do one of two things. One, I would get up there and make fun of the Independent Spirit Awards. <laughs> or. God, <they're... laughs> Or two, I would list off a very long list of people and make you guys wonder whether I was going to list you guys. <laughs> uh, bring up your like your high school yearbook and just be like, I want right. to thank right. Jeremy. I never I would, met this kid, but I bet he was cool. I would read a really long list of fake names, but I'd treat them like they were real. That you know what? Actually, fun. you know what I would do? I would, uh, I would list off the. Uh, the names of the uh, of the men and women who lost their lives fighting in America's wars. So that way they couldn't <laughs> cut me off. That's a good idea. Or you like everybody in Mike, you should try to anticipate the issue that you that could get you booed now. But two years from now, <laughs> everyone will be like the Iraq war or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you should try to you should try to be uh, bowling Michael Moore or whatever. Like you have to That's, be kind yeah. of a Nostradamus, but. I'm sure you could figure it out. I could figure like, it out. Like eat, eating meat or something. People, so. Yeah. You know what's crazy about that is like two years later, he wins for Fahrenheit 9-11 or whatever. Or it's at yeah. least nominated. It's like this huge hit that everyone loves. and uh, But he, he trash talks Bush, you know, two years prior and bullying for Columbine and they all boo him. <laughs> yeah. It's oh, crazy. It's it was an and, interesting time. It was. And Roman Polanski gets a standing O the same year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking idiots <laughs> okay all right it's time for tom cruise time um did anybody else have any other news items about thomas <sighs> he has freckles he what? learned he used to have freckles mm-hmm. yeah. yeah we saw that uh did you send that kid, the video no andrew did yeah oh, okay he had, him, he had him removed by uh with acid Painful. i think he might have done something yeah can you he get did. rid of freckles freckles yeah yeah, you can, can, yeah. Why would you though? They're so cute. I know. They were so cute. Yeah. He's so cute in that video. My lord. <laughs> he sold his and house. And that guy's so weird. Oh, he, he sold, sold his house? Which house? Sold, uh his Telluride cabin, which is huh. I would never want to live there, but like having a vacation home like this would be pretty cool. Yeah. You can look at videos and do like a virtual tour. It's very like a Colorado cabiny. Oh. But you can do a virtual tour of Tom Cruise's house. Tom Cruise's vacation house that has now sold for thirty nine point five million dollars. Thirty nine point five million. Is that yeah. what you said? Yeah. Wow. 
I mean, it's just a vacation house. Sure. What's the most expensive house? I would have. Why, why would you? Well, What's the care. most expensive house? I don't know. Let's find out. I mean, Let's... is it like the palace? Like Buckingham Palace or something? Well, we'll I don't know out. if you can. It's probably some Saudi prince's like. Here we go. 12 most expensive houses in the world. Let's find. Let's go straight to number one. Buckingham Palace is not a private residence, so it's wouldn't okay. count. Yeah, that doesn't count. count. Uh, number one. Yep, it's a it's like a skyscraper in Mumbai. That's so boring. <laughs> Ugh, mega rich, mega mega uh mansions are so they've ruined regular mansions for us. Yeah, <laughs> have you ever been to Graceland? No, I really want to go. It's crazy how it's like the size of a regular, yeah, large house now. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what the square footage is, but it's really not. It's a cool fucking house, but it's not like that. Like you, it would be like walking through like a nice suburban house, you know, slightly wealthy area now. Anyhow, thanks for joining us tonight, folks. Please join us next Mike, week for what? Well, I guess you were just about to say it, but what are we gonna <laughs> talk about next week? Oh, thank you. Uh, please join us next week for 1984's Body Double, Woo-hoo! which is number 12 on the AFI, the American Friends Institute list. Uh, and I've been wanting to watch. I've been wanting to get Kit to watch Body Double yes. for years. It so seems impossible. It's it? like it seems like it would it would have never happened. How, sc- how, sc- how scary uh, is it? Is it going to be too body scary? Double? Yeah. Mm, uh, I don't think it's scary at all. Is it scary, Andrew? Will Kit like it? It's scary. Is it scary? Okay. Yeah, but is it bleed? Is it bleedy? Yeah, bit. a little bit. There's some blood. Okay. <laughs> I don't See know. Next I'm, week, folks. This this isn't working on me as much anymore because we watched The Witch. We watched something else that was scary. Yeah, but I, I skipped all this. I had Lee cut The Witch and put up title cards for what visuals I was missing. Oh, sweet Jesus! That you cannot man. do that for Body Double. You don't need to, but you also I can't won't do it. It's also double. weird because, like, you know, Castlevania is like the most violent. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're it's fine. More, I think it's more violent than being, any live action thing, but it's not. It's cartoons, though. I think you're just being too precious. We're going to have a triple feature where you watch Joker. You're going to watch. No. Uh, we're going to watch Kess and we're going to watch um, something else that you've always said you can't watch because it's too scary. I think you're just trying not to watch these movies. I don't think you're scared at all. No, it give me nightmare. Well, you got to get ready for my torture porn. Uh triple yeah no way i like Hostile. i never watched saw or anything well we'll just just have lee edit them <laughs> <laughs> just have lee put up title cards but leave the sound underneath so they're yeah. just like <laughs> oh, drilling no. drilling noises and blood blood curdling screams but like no. a sentence on in, in white text over black a woman is getting killed yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right slow motion triple uh, feature was recorded in the apartment right above jimmy's Special thanks to our producer, Lee, the man in the booth who makes us sound great. If you'd like to contact us, please do so at slowmotiontriple at gmail.com.